Mark chapter 14, the first nine verses, a very familiar story. And again, whenever we hear or read familiar stories in Scripture, uh, try to lay aside what you think you know about them and, and allow God to, to teach something new in them. And uh, I hope we get that from this familiar story tonight. It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, he was reclining at a table and a woman with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly. She broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was this ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her, but Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this passage of Scripture. I thank you for anointing and persevering your word for us to study tonight and today in these times, God. The revelation of your character through your word is plenty for us to know who you are and your redemptive plan for our lives. God, be with us now as we seek to hear what you have to say to us, what you have to reveal to us about who you are through your scripture. Guide us, guide our thoughts, guide my words. I pray against the enemy and his uh, effects, Father, that he would not distract us, Father. We would be on task of seeing what it is you want to reveal about yourself to our hearts and to our lives tonight. In Christ's perfect name I pray, amen. So Mark writes in a very quick way. Uh, he's going from story to story, hopping from story to story, and here he spends a real quick time on these first two verses setting up the scene of what's happening. It's a very surreal time for the whole city. I want to give a little bit of, of background. He says it's the Passover. It's the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. Those are two same sort of things. And it's a, the, the Passover. We'll talk about it more again in a, in a little bit, and we'll talk about it a lot next week. But ultimately, the Passover is this. It is the biggest holiday in the life of the Jew. It is Christmas and Easter and Thanksgiving all together in one holiday. Everything is massively important for the Jew during this time. Uh, I want to spend a lot of time tonight talking. There's a, a story that I want to kind of relate to you. Um, a friend of mine named Ben Carter, uh, some of you guys might know him. Uh, his dad was a pastor at a church that I used to serve in. Uh, but uh, fire that, that image up of Ben. Ben is... Uh, that's him taken about uh, two weeks ago. He's in Afghanistan um, flying an Apache helicopter. And it's, uh, I, he, he is able to, to send emails. I exchanged a few emails with, with Ben this week. Ben's story is this. He is, uh, was in the Air Force for a while, was, sharing, was flying planes. He transferred out of the Air Force into the Army uh, from height regulation issues I don't understand. Ultimately, right now, he's a, an Apache helicopter pilot and uh, flying over some pretty rough, pretty rugged uh, men trained to kill him 
uh, Taliban is, is in force there and, and trying, to, trying to knock his plane out of the sky. So this is my buddy, Ben. His wife is a, a girl named Emily. And Emily and my wife are kindred spirits. They're like best friends. They're tighter than... Uh, she's the, the tightest girl in my, in my wife's life. And she is still at home with their four kids. Uh, they have three boys and a girl. And uh, so Ben is over there. And probably about... Uh, he left to go over there the 21st of September. And pretty much the whole month of September, he was in different places in the Midwest waiting to, or being trained to go to Afghanistan. But the last three days, from the 18th to the 21st, he was at home with, with his family. And I, I, I knew this whole story, and I, I knew the stuff that it was about them, and that he was going to be there for a full year. And, and uh, Ben, one of the things that Ben has to do is, before he goes over there, is to have uh, someone lined up to do his funeral should he die over there, and someone lined up to, to help to, to coordinate events that have to transpire as far as getting his, his body back over here if he were to, to die while he's over there. And he called me about the middle of August and said, will you be that guy for me? Uh, they try and have somebody that's not in their family so they can have a little bit of removal from the situation. So Ben told me about this, that he was going over in a pretty, pretty intense. I don't know if you, you read much about what's going on in Afghanistan, but it's, it's a whole lot worse than what's happening in Iraq right now, and the, the war is, is on and pretty strong in Afghanistan. So Ben is, is in the middle of this big, major crisis, and he knows that he's going there ahead of time. And so I, I, I talked to Ben a little bit this week about what it was like, what was happening uh, those three days before he left. What was he doing? How was he cherishing his wife? Um, we'll talk more about that in a second. But the story tonight is similar to that one in that this stuff happens two days before Jesus is gone from the earth. He, Jesus dies. This is a Wednesday. Jesus dies on a Friday, and he's, he's removed from the earth. And he's been hinting around to these people in, in a, a very direct way, but not really picked up on permanently by these people, that he's going to be leaving soon. He's going to be dying very soon. And even uh, later on in, in the scriptures tonight, I think it's verse 7 or 8, he says, uh, verse 8, he's, my body is being prepared for burial. And so... Jesus is talking much about his death. Tonight, the story is, is two days before his death. Now, Ben isn't going actually to die, but he is going to be gone and away from his family for a full year. And the story tonight is the last few moments of leisure for Jesus prior to his walking. When he, he walks in and leaves from this place, from this meal, from this time together, and every moment is going to be an intense moment that is a direct step towards his death. There's trials, there's the arrest, there's all that stuff that's coming very soon. So this is the last moment of leisure. So it's very much like the last three days that Ben and Emily were able to, to spend together. Uh, so let's, let's get to the verses tonight. Verse 1, it was now two days before the Passover. Again, this is Wednesday, Friday, he'll be dead. Uh, he dies on the Passover in the Feast of the Unlimited Bread. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and how to kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. Uh, I want to give you a little bit of context for what's happening here. Israel, Israel the Jews, the nation, is being ruled by the Romans. And the, the Mecca, the capital, is Jerusalem. So they're gathered in the capital, but the Romans rule everything. The Romans have set up a person with the title of Herod. And the Herod, at this point, is an Idumean. 
An Idumean is kind of equivalent to a Jew. They are being ruled. They don't have power of their own unless it's been given to them by the Romans. So there is this Herod who's been risen up from among the ranks of the Idumeans who rules over both the Idumeans and the Jews. And his job, as given to him by the Romans, is to keep everything under control. So he will have his wealth and his power stripped from him if there's any sort of revolt or, or uprising. And again, it's the most important holiday for these people, and there's craziness that's going on, and a lot of people want this role of the Herod. So there's attacks on the, the throne. There's attacks on, on this guy's power. So he's got this power and given to him by the Romans, and now he does the same thing with the Jews, with these scribes, these Pharisees. If there's something that rises up among them, he's going to take away their, their power and their authority. So ultimately, this whole big deal about wondering whether or not we should do this now or, or try to, to have a, a plan to kill Jesus is a power grab, but it's also a power grab within a power grab. They, they want to have Jesus, they're scared of him, and he's taken their authority and their power from him. But here in the midst of this time, in this place, there is an issue with whether or not, well, maybe we should not grab for this power now because there might be an uprising. If there's an uprising, people are going to take our power from us. So there is this grab for power. And opposition to Jesus is usually a grab for power. Again, the Romans are in power, and they appointed this leader, the Herod, and the Herod wants this, the, the, the people to, to be subservient and, and to continue, continue to be oppressed. So when Scripture says they're afraid of an uproar of the people, it is a power grab. But understand this. Their grab for power fits right into the hands and the plan of Jesus. Jesus wants them to try to kill him because that's the great redemptive plan of God. Something that we can take from this is evil cannot come up with a perfect plan. Evil can't come up with a perfect plan. These guys want to kill the Son of God and their desire to kill the Son of God feeds right into the plan of Jesus. Even when it looks like Jesus is not in complete control, he is in complete control. Moving on to verse 3. We get to the the heart of of what's happening. While he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, he was reclining at a table, and a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke it and poured it over his head. Other Gospels, Matthew and Luke, talk about this very same story, and we know that this person is is Mary, the sister of Martha. And uh, earlier in the life of Christ, he raised their brother Lazarus from the dead. So this is a group of people that are coming together to have this great feast. It says they're reclining at the table. They've had this big dinner that's happening, and Jesus is relaxed. And I, I want to... I've talked a lot about how Mark writes. The first two verses are painting the picture of how surreal this is and, and this power grab. And then he goes... To, to connect the, the story of, of the anointing with this perfume. And then verse 10 and 11 talk about the plan that the, the scribes and the Pharisees have put into motion actually getting into motion. Judas is going to go, and he's going to go carry out his plan and connect with them. So this sweet story of anointing and worship of Jesus is bookended by this surreal intensity of Jesus moving towards his death. And... Get the picture of, uh, think of family, a Thanksgiving meal. Look back into your own life and your own times and, 
Think of a time when you were together with family sitting around or, or good friends and you had a, a big meal and there was no real pressure of something that was going on or maybe there was pressure that was going to happen later. But think of how relaxing and, and stress-free that it was just to be with family and just to be with friends. This is where Jesus is here. His last chance to relax and just calm down here. I've exchanged some emails with, with Ben this week and actually got a chance to talk to Emily this week. Um, and I talked to them about what they did to cherish those last three days together. Again, I said pretty much the, the first three weeks of September, Ben was all throughout the Midwest being trained, but he knew coming from the 18th to the 21st were the last three days and that he was going to get to spend in the States before he went to Afghanistan for a year. And I asked him, what, what did you do to, to seize those moments, to cherish those, cherish those moments together? I asked both... Ben and Emily. And here's what Emily said. I found myself ignoring trips to the store that were needed. But when I did go, I would go and hurry through it just to get home. I didn't want to be anywhere else. The grocery store will always be there, but Ben won't. Just exactly what Jesus said. The poor are always going to be here. Your mission, the thing that you have to do in your life, is always going to be there, but Jesus won't. That's what was happening here. They were saying, wait a second. We need to give this money to the poor. And Jesus says, hold on. I'm not always going to be here, but the poor will always be here. We'll connect with that in a second. But we're talking here about what it means to cherish Jesus. And now here's what Ben said. Part of what he said is in your bulletin. But here's the, the whole of what he said on an email he sent to me. One thing I do remember... As the time grew shorter, we found ways to touch each other more. Every car ride throughout church, just watching TV. I want to want to stop, and I want you to to picture this guy who who knows. Throw his, his image back up there, Kyle, if you could. I want to, want you to to picture this guy in in the the armpit of the earth. That's how he titled this picture to me. Uh, this guy sitting on a sofa with his wife, knowing that this is his, his destination, and he's, he's got a machine gun in his hand, and he's got, I don't know what they just strapped to the front of him, but it looks wiry and stuff, so it could be something bad. Uh, uh, I'll have to tell you what, I'll, I'll email him this week and ask him and, and let you guys know next week. Uh, but, but the point is, I want you to connect with, with this guy at war, here he is serving his mission, doing what he feels he was created to do. Now let's go back to what Ben was saying and, and picture him on his sofa cherishing his time with his wife. We were conscious of that because with my career, we've learned that soon enough, they won't be, meaning his family, they won't be within reach and nothing adds to the pain of loss like the devastation of regret. The last thing he wanted to do sitting on his sofa was to be in Afghanistan regretting not being with his wife more. Put that away. We'll talk more about that later. The last thing he wanted to do was to be in Afghanistan wishing he'd been more with his wife. Ben says this, I am no marriage expert, but as I sit here in a barren room 
that is designed to protect me from Taliban rockets, I feel a million miles south of nowhere. If I could do anything physically that I wanted to right now, I'd just hold her hand. See the, the depth of how much he cherishes time with his wife. And, and take that notion of those three days that he spent, and now he is living his life in harm's way. And if he could be anywhere to do anything, it would be to hold the hand of his wife, to cherish his wife. This, what this woman did for Jesus, was the proper response for this woman. And this concept paints all that we ought to be doing. It paints what Jesus commands for us to do. He doesn't just say, just love me and don't live a life on mission. But ultimately, mission is secondary to to this. Mission flows from worship. Our mission flows from worship. We do what we do because of the beauty of knowing Jesus. Ben said later that in my conversation with Ben, I got the overwhelming sense that the biggest reason that he's over there in Afghanistan was to stand between the enemy and my family. For Ben, he's there protecting he and all kinds of other thousands, hundreds of thousands of other people in the military. They're protecting our country. But for Ben, foremost, he's protecting his wife and his four kids. And that's the, the biggest reason that he's there. And the reason that he's there doing that is... is He's, that mission is driven by his love for his wife. Now take that to our context. Everything that we do here, the mission that we have, and make no mistake, God has placed you where he has placed you, given you the friends and the family and the neighborhood and the associations, all of that stuff for a purpose, for a mission. You have a mission in your life. But it's our worship, our cherishing of Jesus that paints what we do. Our mission flows from our worship. Our mission paints our worship. John Piper says mission exists because worship doesn't. Mission really is an obedience issue. Let me tell you a story. A lot of times when I need to be doing something important or doing something where I can't pay real close attention to my kids, my sons of thunder, in particular Cooper and Hannah Grace, uh, I'll tell them, okay, if you're good, I'll get you ice cream. Right? You guys have, if, if you're parents, you probably use that, that same deal. If you're good, I'll give you this. There was one day a couple of weeks ago where I was coming into this room to do a little bit of work uh, to, to check on the lighting situation, change a few light bulbs, uh, and just kind of do a little bit of work in this room and then study for a second in this room, and then go over there. There was a, a basketball tournament I was a part of a couple weeks ago that was over there. And Jen was, was out doing some, some other stuff, so I had Cooper and Hannah Grace with me. And I had about 30 minutes of free time, and I went to Wendy's and got them a Frosty before they were supposed to be good. And so I'm thinking to myself, okay, as I hand them this Frosty, I need them to know I'm giving you this on consignment here. You're going to be good based on what I'm giving to you. And, and then I, as, as I did that, and I'm driving, the gospel just overwhelmed my mind. And that's the, 
the heart of, of what our mission shaping our worship ought to be. Christ has been given as a gift to you. The grace that He provides has been given as a gift to you. The redemption that He provides has been given as a gift to you. The relationship with God, we already own it. Just like Cooper and Hannah Grace, before they needed to be good, they're enjoying the gift that I gave to them. And I said to them, because I love you, I'm giving this to you. This is after the whole gospel piece washes over my brain, and I'm like, I need to take this opportunity to, to preach the gospel to my kids. Because I love you so much, I'm giving you this ice cream, and because I love you so much, and I gave you this ice cream, I want you to respond by doing what I ask you to do when I'm, I can't pay close attention to you. And they were perfect. I spent an hour in there playing basketball, and they were paying, they, they stayed in the corner that I asked them to stay in, and they, they weren't the sons of thunder. They were the sons of, of sunlight, I guess. Uh, and while we were in here, Hannah Grace sat there and did her homework, and, and Cooper drew a picture, and it was, it was perfect. And, and it is the picture of, of the gospel. And, and understand that our mission is really obedience. Mission is an obedience issue. Jesus has commanded us to go and proclaim and tell about who He is. He's commanded us to serve the poor. He's commanded us to give to the poor. Just like these disciples in the story we're talking about, they weren't wrong in saying we should give money to the poor. They were wrong in allowing their mission to trump and to, to inform their obedience. Their, their mission to and trump and inform their worship. I'm sorry. And, and that's, that's backwards. In our worship, cherishing Jesus ought to be the number one, the central thing. And that is the heart of it. And understand, again, we have a mission. God has called us to proclaim the gospel. God has called us to serve the poor. God has called us to, to connect with a body. God has called us to do all these things, commanded these things, but foremost, He's commanded us to reflect His glory. And we can't reflect His glory unless we know what it means to be with Him. Psalm 34, 8, one of my favorite verses, says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that takes refuge in Him. Unless we have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, it's like telling somebody, hey, try a bite of this. I've never tried it, but you ought to try a bite of this. But when, when you have experienced something beautiful and life-changing, we want to share it. Mission flows from our worship. But when mission trumps worship, religion trumps relationship. It's on the screen, but let me say that again. When mission trumps worship, religion trumps relationship. I want to go back and, and look at what these people were saying. Verse 4, chapter 14. There were some there who said to themselves indignantly, Why was this ointment wasted like that? There is huffs, there is eye rolls, there is that stupid girl, what is the matter with her? We, and this is, I've heard conflicting reports, but it's probably thirty to $40,000 worth of stuff in our context, in our age, that was poured onto Jesus. What could, in, in the crossroads of, of our church and understanding where we're going and, 
and the financial issue that we're, we're in and all that, what could we do with 30 grand? A whole lot. If you guys hit the lottery, let me know. I'm not above that. Uh, especially if somebody buys it for you as like a Christmas gift, like a scratch-off ticket or something. I'm, I'm, really, I'm really okay with that. I don't want you running up, spinning, well, whatever. That's a different story. Different sermon. Uh, but, but ultimately, this was like thirty to $40,000 worth of stuff in our context for them. It's, it's a huge amount of money, but Jesus praises her because she, worship informs her mission. For these people, it was the mission, it was obedience that was trying to inform their worship, and they got it backwards, and they chastised this woman for praising and cherishing time with God. Imagine how ridiculous it would have been for Ben to come home on the 18th of September and the next day say, Emily, this this floor really needs to get mopped. Or, Emily... Man, Drew, Drew's, his nose has been running all day and it's just crusted. You need to go wash his face. Imagine the, the ridiculousness of that. Cherish Jesus and that informs and shapes what we do in our worship. And if we don't do that, we wind up upside down. We wind up religion. Mission that informs our worship elevates religion. Mission that informs our worship elevates religion. Hey, pay attention to me and look what I've done. These people, hey, look what we've done. We've given this money to the poor. We've served people. For us, in our context, when worship informs our mission, it is uplifting to our Savior. Hey, look at Jesus. Hey, taste and see what I've tasted and seen. The Lord is good. Mission that is informed by worship elevates Jesus. And you, you see the, the whole context of all of this. Back up from, from the, the story and see what, what truly has transpired here in this context. Jesus is about to go and die. His last opportunity to sit and relax. He's reclining at the table and this woman comes and gives so much. And commentators say that this was probably a family heirloom. It's not something that she just went out and bought a few years ago. This is a family heirloom. It's an alabaster jar. So she had to snap the neck of this glass to be able to break it open. Probably was, was owned by a great, great grandparent of hers in some way. This is a, It's not just expensive. It's also a family heirloom. And she spent it on Jesus. And, and I think about that concept. I have a, a friend who, who who has this this thing she's she's doing that it's called spend yourself. And, and the the sermon that she's always preaching is how are you spending yourself? We have X amount of blocks of energy. We have X amount of blocks of time. We have X amount of blocks of of money. All these different resources that we have: time, energy, money stuff, how are we spending that? This woman took the most prized possession to her and spent it on cherishing Jesus. And the response of 
those that were around her that were supposed to be disciples of Jesus was a religious response. Hey, wait a second, we should have done that. And Jesus stops them and says, worship is the crucial thing for us. Get to the heart of it, get to the core of it, and it will inform your mission. And Jesus knows that in a few short hours, he's going to be standing, kneeling, praying in a garden, bleeding drops of blood, begging for his life. And then he's going to rise and he's going to be arrested and stand before trials that are unjust and die an unjust death. But here in this moment, he understands and he allows for this and encourages this worship. I want to close with this one last thought. Psalm 34, 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes his refuge in him. Mission is appropriate when it's shaped by this. Why we do what we do? Because Jesus commanded us and because we have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Mission is appropriate when it's shaped by tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. How strong does Ben have to feel when he pictures himself on the sofa with his wife, just simply holding her hand. I'm standing here doing what I'm doing because I love my wife so much. We stand here. We proclaim the gospel to our kid's soccer coach. We proclaim the gospel to the guy who, who, we, who sits across the cubicle from us. We proclaim the gospel to the lady who teaches with us. We proclaim the gospel to the, the person we buy coffee from. Because we've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Not because of some religious desire to, to please God. But instead, because of what He has done in us. Just like Hannah Grace and Cooper were perfect because I, I gave them that gift. Understand, embrace, own, based in this gift of God through His Son, Jesus Christ. And act like this woman. Give all that you have to worship Christ, and then allow that to paint and inform your worship. Mission is appropriate when it's shaped by Psalm 34.8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Let's pray and then practice. God, I thank you for tonight. I thank you for this opportunity to connect with this woman, Mary, in this story, Father. God, I pray against our bend to religion. To want to chastise people for bowing at your feet, God. Lord, I pray that you would chase that from our minds, Father. And that the things that we do, our mission, our purpose, the reason we exist on this planet, would be born as Mary's motivation was born out of cherishing you, God. Lord, I pray for my own heart that I would rest in worship of you, Father. 
And I would rise daily from a time of connection with you and then go about my mission, Father. God, I thank you for the real life story of Ben living out his mission because he loves his wife. That we would do the same thing. Live out our mission because we love you and that would be reflective in all that we do. God, we trust you. We trust that you have provided us with your son. We rest now. Guide us now as we respond to this beautiful story of worship. May we respond by connecting with you, living out the purpose of our life. It's in Christ's name.